Hello again, you lovely football fans, and welcome back to the Bet It Right show on the eve of Christmas in conjunction with BetItRight.com. BetItRight.com is a brand new website that brings the football data to your door, and each week we'll update you on the key numbers and metrics that you can use to help you show off in front of your mates and allow you to bet better. Like and subscribe to this podcast and make sure you get involved with us at BetItRight.com. Well, the good news is that the Boxing Day fixtures are scheduled to go ahead after a meeting involving the Premier League clubs. And once again, Dean Selby joins me to look ahead to uh, the fixtures that are coming your way. And last week we talked about Ajax getting the um, the purest purring. Well, Dean on the show last week got the punters purring with some inspired selections. Um, that was my Christmas tongue twister dealt with at the start. We're all dressed up in our Christmas clobber. Happy Christmas, Dean. And we thankfully have some football to look forward to this festive period we do and hello ollie and merry christmas to everybody wherever you're watching this whatever day it is as you can see i am one of those people that swallows christmas and it comes out of every (laughs) pore and this isn't just for the show this is basically how i'm going to look for the next two weeks oh i love it you know we um we've chatted about favorite christmas films from the show last week we missed out um, a key one which Barbato Sal got in touch with us and said Santa the Claus was his favourite Christmas film. I was thinking about favourite Christmas songs as well. We're hearing we're hearing a lot of Christmas songs in the shops if, for anyone that's going out in, into shops that's doing their last minute Christmas shopping. What's your number one Christmas song? <sighs> that's so much pressure. Now, I could go down the traditional route. You know, in my head, I've got Christmas, you know, and I've got a few more Carries knocking about. And I can see Buble doing his thing, Mickey Bubbles, as we like to call him in England. Um, but I'm going to have to go for E17, stay right. another day. Inspired shout <laughs> from you, that, to be fair. Yeah, wow. Because you, 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 at the time that song was out, you know, I was walking around basically looking like, you know, the reject. I was like East 18, the one that didn't get in, you know, like... Wrong direction. I thought you were going to say you were walking around looking like Brian Harvey, who I think once run himself over. He did, but that was only because he'd eaten too much jacket potato with tuna and needed to be sick out of his car door and then ran himself over, which I just, I still can't understand. <laughs> Every time I read that story, I go, that just didn't, like, didn't happen, but it definitely did. Um, well, the moral of the story is just have a small jacket potato and maybe just one tin of tuna. Or don't ever get in a car with Brian Harvey. Um, well, good. Well, we, <laughs> we've covered the important stuff already. Favourite Christmas song. I'm in full agreement with you about the film and the song. Um, we're similar people, Dean. Um, I love it. But, uh, I mean, we are, but I don't think you've gone all the way to Bergamo to get your Christmas jumper. A shout out to Jean-Pierre Gasparini uh, and all the guys at Atalanta for my Christmas jumper. Stand up. As you can, so see, yeah. as you can see, it's a little, uh, a little, whatever it is. Stand up. A little reindeer with a little hat on. And yeah, we, we're good. Why do you keep sort of half standing up and then sitting down? Are you not wearing trousers? No, I've always got trousers on, but they may just be a little bit too Christmassy. I don't, I don't think the bed right <laughs> users can, can cope with it. I, you know, I've, I've built a 5% reputation in the first three shows, and I'm just going to blow it out of the water right now if I reveal these horrendous Christmas trousers that I've got right now. We, um, we, oh. asked, we asked for score predictions, back to the serious business yesterday, of the... We're obviously recording this on Tuesday morning. Um, gives us plenty of run-up into the Boxing Day fixtures. 
But we asked the score predictions on Monday night's championship game, Fulham versus Sheffield United, who we've discussed both teams actually on previous podcasts. The correct score was 1-0 to Sheffield United. No one actually got that right. But Gary Sinclair, were it not for Mitrovic hitting the post in the 94th minute, would have got his third correct score correct because he went for one all. It's remarkable the run he's on. I know he just missed out, but it probably should have finished one all, really. Mitrovic's touch in the last minute was terrible and had to cut back inside and things like that. And then Harry Wilson missed a sitter in, in his own right. Um, but anyway, well done, Gary. Keep that up. You're definitely our Christmas winner of the um, score prediction so far. And in the new year, we will, as promised, have those prizes. So um, tell everyone, get involved. And uh, we look forward to hearing from you on our BIR Insights page in 2022. And both BIR Insights and BIR Prompts are must-follow accounts for all your Christmas bets. Dean, are you ready? With your Christmas hat and your Christmas jumper and your Christmas tree by you, are you ready for some Christmas football previews? I am. My Christmas trousers, my Christmas underpants, my Santa sack is full of tips and tricks to get the punters purring. Let's go. Well, the first game we're going to take a look at is Spurs versus Palace. A couple of London teams taking each other on and um, Spurs, they look pretty good against Liverpool. I think the Spurs fans were certainly very encouraged by what they saw. What did you make of it, Dean? Yeah, agreed. Uh, the two-week break looked like it did him a world of good, looked very fresh. Harry Kane doing his best kind of Tom Daly impression in reverse. Not really sure how he didn't get a red, but hey-ho. He got the ball, mate. He got the ball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I, and actually, by the way, I just said hey-ho, but that wasn't actually a Christmas joke. It was just... You know, <laughs> I'm infected with Christmas. I, forget COVID. I couldn't believe um, when he said in the interview he, he got the ball. I mean, that was just utter nonsense. Anyway. Yeah. No, but yeah, looking a lot better. Looking a lot better. Um, I suppose it's always with these teams that have had these long breaks, whether they're fresh or whether if their squad's been ravaged with COVID, I don't really know how they'd feel coming back and, and, and playing. But it certainly seemed in Tottenham's case that the break did them did them good. But not only that, they're also, as you flagged up before, signs from Conti and the way he sets up that he, he's going to get the team playing football again. Yeah, and, you know, it's another game where they averaged kind of low possession. It's been below 50% every game. It's clear that he wants to try and be explosive using Davies and Regulion to kind of release on the left and Son to use that pace, which would be an interesting one against Palace. Son against Ward and Anderson, potential exposure there. Um, Spurs will look to play in those inside pockets, you know, in their 3-4-2-1. And with Palace playing a 4-3-3, their sitting midfielder, who was Will Hughes in the last game, can sometimes be a little bit exposed uh, because he's not that mobile. He keeps the game ticking over, but if he has to cover big spaces, uh, those Spurs inverted forwards in their 3-4-2-1, 3-4-3 could be a real area that, that Conte looks to expose. Because of what you were saying about the way they set up Spurs, are those wing wingbacks, Reguilon and, and, and Emerson Royal or whoever plays in that in that role, uh, are they have they become more important to the team than they were before under previous managers? Yeah, anyone that plays under Conte... The wing-backs are massively important. He seems to favour the left at the moment with the left centre-half releasing more. So Davies will be the one that adds the number in midfield. So that side, the right side, could be an area where Palace target in, in transition. And on the flip side, Palace is 4-3-3. You know, expansive, progressive possession under Vieira looks very good. Conor Gallagher adding an extra number in the 10 um, to be more advanced. And Will Saha, if he can get himself 1v1 against Davinson Sanchez, could be another area for exposure. So I'd expect Tottenham will allow Palace to dominate the ball, will look to sit in, 
look to counter-attack. Um, it should be a game with lots of flow, lots of good tempo in possession. Neither team really like to build slow. Um, so if Spurs can break, give the ball away. Palace can break, give the ball away. Spurs will break, give the ball away. Uh, so it could be one of those games that actually really opens up. A bit ping-pongy. A bit, yeah. Yeah, it could be one of those games where, you know, it's like, right, who's eating the most Christmas pudding? It'll be that guy there who's really slow in transition and you'll you'll see the guys that have kind of laid off the, you know, the prawn cocktail starter and they're flying. So, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. It's, um, it's actually, I, I know you're joking there, but, it, you know, in, in the world that I'm used to, jockeys, footballers, you know, whilst we're indulging in things on Christmas Day, athletes who are playing on, riding on Boxing Day, playing football on Boxing Day, probably don't get the, that luxury. Some of them are staying in hotels um, and what have you. So um, it, for this game, you'd assume that most of the Palace players are able to enjoy Christmas at home, but that will be a good fixture. What's the bet in that game, do you think? So looking at the data, Spurs have been very positive in their, you know, in the last four games at home, averaging 2.8 goals from 1.62 XG. Six out of nine home games have been over 2.5, which is number one in the league. And Palace's five out of eight games away from home has been over 2.5. Their outputs aren't great, only 1.04 goals. So I'd look at this and say that Spurs' front three versus Palace's front three is going to be the key battle. And I put my, you know, I put my weight towards Spurs' front three winning that battle. And I'd like a little double here. I'd like to go Spurs and over 2.5 for a little Christmas cracker. Right. Love it. Moving on, West Ham versus Southampton. Um, and I think the data is interesting on this one because it might paint a slightly different picture to what you expect. Would that be fair? Yeah, this is an interesting fixture. Just the way that Hassan Hootel set up against West Ham in the past. The last three games, it's been a nil-nil, a nil-nil and a three-nil. The three-nil being a dead rubber at the end of last season when it was May and West Ham getting into Europe and Southampton, nothing to play for. But what Hassan Hootel's done against West Ham in recent times is pack the midfield, played really narrow, like a 4-2-2-2, kind of try and get numbers up and stop West Ham from playing in those central areas. And it'd be really key for West Ham to, to almost evade that, to play outside the pitch first, then play back on the inside of the pitch and try to kind of manage that space. And Southampton recently went really aggressive against Arsenal. Leicester kind of got undone on the counter-attack against Arsenal when it was very open against Leicester. So this game is one where the data points towards it being quite open, but this is really one where Hassan Hootel could sit down and think, right, been, we've been leaking a few goals recently. Let's, let's go and be a little bit more conservative and try and stop West Ham from doing what they want to do. So it's really an interesting one that people can go on you know, go on the Bet It Right website, look at the data, look at the, you know, look at the two teams, look at West Ham's attacking outputs at home, which is over 1.8 goals a game from over 1.5 XG. They give up some good numbers over 1.3, 1.37 on both sides of the ball. But the big question is Southampton. You know, they haven't managed to find that goal scorer. Uh, well, Bro, yeah, I was, I was going to ask you, because FPL players are sort of in the conundrum as well. Does he know who his best sort of best lineup is for that because Broge has played Armstrong, Che Adams, Nathan Redmond's played up top. Like what is the what's the answer to that? I think he's still trying to figure it out. And I think going from game to game, he's tweaking and he's testing and he's seeing what works. Like you said, Broge is the top scorer with four goals. And if you want to be anywhere from the middle to the higher echelons of the Premier League, you need to have someone in your team that's scoring more than four goals. 
And that replacement of Danny Ings has been kind of key. And, you know, they didn't change versus Arsenal. They went high press. They got exposed on the counter. Um, you know, they play best against teams that, you know, they can get behind, get down the sides, be aggressive. But they need teams to come onto them. And that's shown in the Leicester Palace games. So, you know, if West Ham sit, it's a little bit slower tempo that won't really suit Southampton. And it could become a game where it becomes a real tactical battle, this one. OK. Um, again, when taking that all into account, despite the numbers, how you expect them to set up, therefore are you going probably against market expectation and thinking it might be an overs game, given or both teams to score game, and are you going actually against that approach, given historical score lines in the past between these two teams? Yeah, well, West Ham, both teams to score seven out of eight at home, number one in the league. Uh, Southampton giving up almost two goals a game away from home from 1.5 XG. And Southampton, seven out of nine games have been over two and a half when they've been away from home, including the last four. So if you looked at that and you were on the website and you were kind of doing your little notes of the weekend, you know, or should I say on Boxing Day, you know, and your brain's a bit clouded by, you know, all the, all the celebrations you've eaten and you kind of think, I, I, can't, I can't see through the wrapping paper. It is a game where you could get caught up in, this, in, the, in the goals. But... With Raf Hasselhutl's attitude to this game in the past and how he may need to tweak it to stop West Ham getting their tens, you know, their ten on the pocket on the game and trying to get one v one in wide areas, this could be a game where actually you look at potentially going unders and both teams to score on the no and saying, well, this could be a game that at one nil, you know, does it really open up or you know, do the two managers look at the tactical battles that have happened in recent years, repeat that? And we, and we have something that kind of goes against data for once, which is something that we haven't really talked about on the show so far. Uh, certainly food for thought, that. Um, West Ham versus Southampton coming up on, on Boxing Day. Game three for us to look at now, Dean, is Burnley versus Everton. And I, I guess given the team that Everton had to put out against Chelsea and they, they sort of got a, a brilliant draw against Chelsea, t- team news is probably going to be vital for what happens in terms of bets and how you approach this, I assume. Yeah, I heard a rumour that I was next on, on Rafa's speed dial. Uh, no. You know, he, he was scrambling. He was like, let's get an early 40-something centre forward. And, you know, and I played at Goodison Park before, as, as you, you might not know that. And I actually, I've actually scored at Goodison Park. I have it on DVD. At, I, at, I, what, at, at what level? That's not important, the level. It's just have the question is have you scored at Goodison Park? The answer to that is yes. The other thing is Rafa's got you on speed dial to ring you up to slag you off for actually being a Liverpool fan, as previously discussed on this podcast. Um. Anyway, moving on to the Burnley. <laughs> yeah, the team that they that they played against Chelsea it was a, it was a great draw. Uh, really proud of the younger players that came in as a true Evertonian that we all know. I'm wearing Everton colours today. It's got the Atalanta badge on, but Rafa, don't worry about that. Everton Christmas jumpers were sold out. Um, yeah, it really comes down to the team. Everton's injuries, really missing Gray and Townsend. Gray was missing from the squad. No one really knows why. Townsend with a foot injury. Richarlison out. Calvert-Lewin obviously been out for a long time. They had 19% possession against Chelsea, which tells you everything. 19%. You know, a defensive 5-4-1. Rafa recognised that they were going to be the second, you know, the second best team and he sat in. And... On the flip side, for Burnley, it's really about whether Maxwell Cornet's fit. They've had a, you know, he's had rest. They they had the game postponed for COVID. So if he's in the team and Everton have a few players back, 
then it paints a different picture. But right now, it's going to be it's going to be a bit of a war of attrition, I think, uh, up there at Turf Moor. Any bets in this? Do you like the way that I rolled in War of Attrition and as one of my favourite horses of all time? <laughs> See, one, I suppose you must have backed him in the Gold Cup, right? For I did. Yeah, absolutely. And two, it's it's a it's a relatively common phrase. So I wasn't I didn't instantly associate horse with. Do you know what I mean? I do. I do, but I've got a, I've got my Christmas really sack here. I really appreciate it. <laughs> um, don't get me wrong; I'm not ungrateful, but I didn't go. Wow, that's a great horse reference. If you put in Frankel in a sentence that made sense that wasn't horse related, I'd go smart. Right now, now you've got a really small part of my brain working on Frankel. How I can get it in to the <laughs> podcast now you might be before able the to end? That. that would be incredible. Um, okay. Any bets in this? Well, Burnley. Typically haven't really changed for the last five years. Hard working, chuck the ball in behind, you know, one corner on um, on the counter-attack. If he's injured, it's a, it's a real problem for them. Tarkowski and me, mobility-wise, can be exposed by Everton, but only if they've got their best players and the players that can actually attack the space down the sides. Uh, Everton play best on the counter-attack, so I expect them to allow Burnley to have the ball here. They'll probably have a little bit more of the ball than they usually do. Um, and Burnley can't really defend the counter-attack, but... Again, like I said, it's really down to who Everton have available. Uh, at 1-0, don't really see the game exploding. Everton, with the injuries, will be happy to get out of there with the win. And I think Burnley, with the run that they're on, they'll be looking to squeeze you know, the game as early as they can and make Everton struggle for it. So when you look into some of the data, Burnley have the fewest shots in the Premier League with 48, which is joint with Norwich. Only three of their seven home games have been, you know, had over two and a half goals. And with the Everton injuries and their outputs away from home, which is 0.82 goals, uh, this is a game where I would say we'd be looking at the unders market, under two and a half uh, goals as, as a game that really just doesn't get going. And I'm just going to throw a little kind of random one in there as well. Burnley have almost 5.6 corners a game. Everton have the lowest corners in the Premier League away from home at 2.55. And Burnley also have... Uh, kind of 0.7 cards more than Everton. So if punters were thinking, oh, you know, I want a little bit more bang for my buck and I want to make a bit more money uh, over this festive period, then potentially under two and a half and maybe throw in Burnley most corners and most cards as well for a little outsider just to, to boost the odds on this one. OK, looking ahead to a couple of fixtures now in the Championship. And the first one we're going to take a look at, Dean, is Hull against Blackburn, who are on... Well, probably the hottest team in Europe right now, Blackburn. They're flying. Yeah, Ben Brereton-Diaz. People chatting about him now being worth £25 million. It's amazing what a few goals in England can do for your price. Yeah. he. I mean, he was. Uh, he's like a cult hero in South America, though, isn't he? After his he is now. Yeah. Um, going, you know, going over to the Copper America, doing well. You know, now he's Ben Brereton-Diaz rocking around at Blackburn. 19 goals and one assist. Number two in the league for that contract up in the summer. So they're thinking that maybe he leaves in January. Can Tony Mowbray make him stay? So it was a really interesting one. I should know this, but is he from like up north and just added Diaz to his name because he realised he had like a South American great granddad or something? No, but I, I believe it's his grandma that's uh, that's Does he have a northern accent. But he 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 started. He was originally at Forest. I'm not sure about where he came through the academy, but that's where he kind of made his made his name when he was playing for England under 21s. But yeah. Uh, a great story for him. Pardon? 
I just love the thought of him around Christmas one day going, like his dad going, hey up, Ben. <laughs> you know, granddad used to play chili. <laughs> <'Cause>, what? <laughs> off, he, <laughs> off he goes. And, and then he becomes this sort of genius striker. I'm going to find out. I'm going to Google Ben Berrettin Diaz. I should have done this before whilst you tell us what's going to happen in the game against Hull. I'm assuming you think Blackburn are going to win that. Well, yeah, so Blackburn last 10 games, 25 points, 20 goals, 10 conceded. Top of the form table for the last five and the last 10 games. Hull no winning three after a four-game winning streak. So Grant McCann is really kind of flip-flopping with Hull. They're going from an, an aggressive team to a passive team. But he's gone, uh, he's gone more aggressive at home. And Lewis Potter's been key to their attacking in wide areas. Uh, an excellent 1v1 player. Uh, great delivery, great finishing. A player that's bound to end up in the Premier League, you know, uh, very soon. Blackburn, quite passive away from home. Will look to allow Hull to dominate the ball and break a pace. Joe Rothwell's passes through to Brereton Diaz in the space behind will be key. And it's a good key. It's a good style matchup because both teams play 3-4-1-2. So it'll be interesting to see whether Grant McCann goes for this more aggressive Hull approach at home, which he's done, uh, you know, done recently. But their outputs are pretty low, only 0.92 goals from 1.19 XG. Defensively, they don't give up much, 1.17 from 1.1 XG. Um, you know, Blackburn have been have been really solid at home, over two goals a game. Away from home, only 1.07. So they're another team that have struggled to transfer that home form away. But there's a, this is a game where, looking through all the data, I sat there and you know did a bit of research, as I do every week. And I came up with a little bet builder. So this is where I'm going to go with this one. Uh, Blackburn to win. Blackburn with most cards. They have an average of 2.22 cards a game, whereas Hull are on 1.33. And they've had over 3.5 match cards in eight of their 11 games. So I'm going to go Blackburn win, Blackburn most cards. Hull have almost twice, well, not almost twice, but five corners against Blackburn's 2.96. And Hull have had over seven and a half corners in nine of their 11 games. So the first three parts of this bet builder is a Blackburn win, Blackburn most cards, Hull most corners. And then if you wanted to be really bumper and think, right, you know, I've got a big New Year's Eve coming. I need a few extra hundred quid in my pocket. Then you could also go over three and a half match cards and over seven and a half match corners for a five leg bumper bet builder, Boxing Day Bonanza. Anything else that I can do with bees for Blackburn? There you go. <laughs> um, brilliant. Black Beauty. Do you remember Black Beauty, the horse? Barton. Do you know who my favourite horse was, actually? Speaking of alliteration with the word B, Barton Bank was my favourite horse. Barton Bank. He actually be... fell in the King George, which is on Boxing Day, obviously, as everyone knows. Yeah, in my 20s and 30s, I was well, mainly in my 20s, late 20s, early 30s, I was huge into horse racing, like obsessed. My, my office at work, I used to work for a law firm before I got into football. There's a little, you know, teaser for the watchers of Bet It Right. Where did this man come from? Um, and I was into it and my desk would just be covered in papers and I'd be obsessed with kind of horses and trainers and everything. So, yeah, but it's now it's football, football, football. for yeah. these. Well, we're, we're glad that it is. You're incredibly informative on the, the Bet It Right show, so we're grateful for that. And thankfully for me, I don't have to talk about racing on here because I've spent most of my Christmas talking about racing on ITV. I've done my research. Berriton was born in Stoke-on-Trent, Staffordshire, and attended Blythe Bridge High School. <laughs> is that how people in Stoke talk? I think so. 
hang on, yeah, no, just got it confirmed. That is exactly how they talk. He was born to Martin Brereton, an English policeman and former amateur football player in the Potteries and District Sunday League. And Andrea Ney Diaz, born in Concepcion, Chile, who works at Churchill, China. So Andrea, his mother, is where he also is Chilean links. So what a story that is. Uh, that's the first game in the championship looked at with a big bet builder. Uh, next game, Middlesbrough versus Forest. And again, uh, another team on a bit of a roll. Yeah, well, both teams. Middlesbrough, since Chris Wilde has gone in, they look like Sheffield United part two. And Forest under Steve Cooper have been magnificent. He took over 21st of September. They've lost one game in 15 against Fulham. Unbeaten in the last eight away. And Chris Wilde has been in post since the 7th of November. They've lost one in six against Preston. And in true Sheffield United style, with a pillow and a, and a little bit of cow pole, their last three games have been 1-0, 0-0 and 1-0. So he's having the true Sheffield United effect. Um, but yeah, two teams in good form. Middlesbrough have won, won the last three meetings between these teams. And a game that will pitch two of the kind of, I guess, the best performing managers at the moment uh, in what should be a really intriguing game. What's the angle? Well, they play kind of similar systems. Middlesbrough three at the back, Forest three at the back. Middlesbrough five in midfield, so three five two, and Forest play a three four three. So that small overload in midfield could be key for Middlesbrough, which is where they've been really good. So Crooks, Tavernier, and, and Johnny House, and sitting in the in the deeper line position. So that three versus two in there, you know, it's helped them really thrive in that system for Middlesbrough. They'll have lots of the ball. That extra man can help them progress up the pitch. But what they're going to have to worry about is. Forest in transition. Under Cooper, they've been excellent on the counter-attack. Uh, Johnson in behind, potentially exposing the space that's left by Isaiah Jones um, for Middlesbrough, who likes to advance. So this could be a real kind of cat-and-mouse game. Middlesbrough dominating the ball, Forest looking to get in behind. Middlesbrough have only conceded 0.91 goals uh, so far this season at home from 0.86 XG, so very tight. And Forest, again, have conceded only 0.75 goals away from home, number two in the league from 1.1 XG. So this is a game I expect to be tight on the handicap. I think Forrest could actually go off on a plus. So if those people that haven't, you know, aren't really aware of the handicap system or the Asian lines and want to do a little bit of research, potentially look into that, look to betting Forrest on the plus handicap and even taking Forrest on the draw no bet market uh, would be, you know, would be a, a good bet here. And also on the goals, if an under 2.5 market's available at a good price, I would definitely be that side because I think this game is one that at 1-0, you know, the team shut up shop and they look for the win. Normally at this stage, we do a Euro roundup, um, an update on news and things around Europe. Um, not an awful lot's happened in truth. And also there are games both tonight and tomorrow. So it would be relatively futile to do that if you're listening to this over the Christmas period. So what I'd like to do, given... The announcement from the government today in Wales that fixtures in Wales, sport fixtures will be behind closed doors and what potentially could happen after Christmas, preemptive perhaps. Um, what, and, and that is regarding sporting fixtures carrying on behind closed doors or without fans or reduced capacity crowds. I'd like if you can just, just explain to our listeners and viewers about what the data tells us about a couple of key things that are factored into price, home advantage, um, and how much of an impact sort of going behind closed doors will have to certain teams, um, COVID with big squads and, and, and what have you. I know we touched on that briefly, but 
Do you have data that tells us how people should approach and who they should approach uh, if we do indeed head down that route again, Dean? Yeah, it really depends on league and it depends on clubs. So you'll have clubs with smaller grounds that create massive atmosphere and have that real home advantage. You know, Burnley, so, you know, have, can you do it at Stoke on a cold Tuesday night is the kind of key phrase. And across Europe, you have those teams with Freiburg in Germany, Union Berlin in Germany, those teams where the crowd is on top of the pitch and it creates an amazing atmosphere that really throws teams when they go there to away games. <clears throat> so that can impact and decrease the home advantage. And what we've looked at is pre-lockdown, pre the original lockdown, then when they came back without fans, and then when they came back with fans afterwards. And what you'll see across the top five leagues is, is a real difference in, in what it happens league to league. And that will also come down to when you go away to clubs, they'll have different plans. Like some people have temporary changing rooms. Some people you'll be in the original changing room because they're far enough apart. Whereas if they're close and in the same building, suddenly you're getting changed, you know, in a port cabin down the street and you've got a 500 meter walk to the pitch. All those things can play on the mind of players and make them, you know, slip out of their rhythm. And ultimately, footballers are people that thrive on consistency, thrive on routine. So if that, when that routine is affected, you know, and also if you play under a manager who screams and shouts a lot and there's no fans, then that can also have either a positive or a negative effect on the team, depending on their relationship with the manager. You know, if you're playing right wing and you're managed by Conte and you're on his side, he's going to be in your ear, like screaming at you, managing you, telling you what to do. Um, whereas if you play under a manager that's quiet and there's no fans in the stadium, then, you know, you may be able to just relax and play. One final thing before I give you some stats. Also, some clubs will have smaller home fans. So, you know, teams that have lower attendances, if they suddenly have no fans, it may not impact them as much as someone like Dortmund, for example, that have that huge yellow wall. Yeah. 70,000 people screaming, creating that atmosphere like Atletico Madrid, like we talked about on the last show. Yeah. And going from that to zero is a massive change. Whereas if the stadium's half empty, like a Manchester City, apologies, um, you know, the prawn sandwich brigade, then that's where we have a bit of a problem. But yeah, in the, in the Premier League, there was a decrease in home advantage and an increase in the away, which returned. Sorry, my Christmas tree is trying to attack me here. Uh, Man City fan, obviously. Yeah, yeah, sending bad vibes, getting their voodoo doll and stabbing it, you know, with my Christmas hat on. Uh, but yeah, decreasing home advantage and increasing away for, for the Premier League. In La Liga, there was a decrease in home advantage and totals, and it continued to drop post-return, so they took longer to get back into their rhythm. In the Bundesliga, there was an increase in the away uh, output. This is goals I'm talking about here. And the home jumped on return, with the away returning to back it was before. So in Germany, the away uh, team's done better, you know, bigger outputs, more goals. When the fans came back, home teams were, you know, fired up and loving life. Yeah. And they, and they, you know, the home, the home numbers jumped, the whole home goals output jumped. And then the away returned. So that home advantage, that away advantage disappeared. Uh, in Ligue 1, there was an increase in the away. Home dropped slightly. Uh, and after there was a jump for home and away. Um, as, as, as they return, but the away dropped slowly after the return of fans. And then in Serie A, it was the biggest out of everything. Massive increase in home and away uh, during no fans. And then when the fans came back, still, a, still an increase with, uh, with the majority of the statistics staying quite steady. But in Italy, everyone was saying, oh, you know, as soon as the fans go, 
then the goals are going to drop. But actually, that was the league where it exploded. And what you'll find in Italy, there's quite a lot of old stadiums that were used for the World Cup, used for other sporting events that are either far away from the pitch or they just don't have massive attendances in Italy. You know, even the big stadiums at Milan, at Juve, you know, Juve against Sassuolo, I think they had 18 or 19,000 there because the ticket prices are still 80 or 90 euros despite people being impacted by COVID. So suddenly in Italy, you're going from half full stadiums to empty. The players were like, well, actually, let's just go out and have great, you know, a great time. We've been stuck indoors for a couple of months. Let's go. So across the leagues, it will change. Use Bet It Right. Go on the website. Have a look at recency. Have a look at last season. You can look at season 18, 19, 19, 20, 2021 and the current season. Compare the outputs of the teams. Match them up. It may take a bit of research. It may take a bit of time. But if you can beat the bookies better, then it's always worth it. Yeah, well said. Um, that's really interesting. BetterRight.com, BIR Insights and BIR Prompts on Twitter. Um, but yeah, sign up to BetterRight.com. It is free to sign up. So all the information that we're talking about, that we use, that we see, that we analyse, that Dean talks about and puts into to advice with his selections and, and fancies, that's available to you. Um, and as I say, BetterRight.com, free to sign up. Do that um, and you'll have a world of fun there, I'm sure. It's time now, Dean, for the best bet of the games we've spoken about. What do you think is the um, the best bet? So out of the five games we've spoken about today, I think the Burnley one against Everton really depends on the teams. I think the best bet this weekend, the most predictive bet, will be, for me, the one I'm going to take out of my Santa sack wrapper and present as a beautiful little present to all our watchers is going to be Spurs and over 2.5 in the game Spurs versus Palace. Okay, excellent stuff. Well, we will watch that with interest. Um, thank you very much for uh, all your work in the, um, in the year 2021. Uh, we're going to be back after the FA Cup round. So we'll have a couple of weeks off because um, it's FA Cup first week of January, uh, all being well, without replays. Scrap this year. Um, to avoid con fixture congestion. And then we'll be back. Um, as I say, we'll have mugs, T-shirts, prizes, and we'll be back um, bigger and better in, in 2022. But I've really enjoyed um, the start to the Bet It Right show with you, Dean, and thank you so much for your efforts um, and work thank you. on it. Oh. And thank you to all our followers, all our listeners, everyone that's joined us so far on this journey. It's one that we're just on, just starting, but one that we're really looking forward to, to help you bet better, to help you enjoy data, to help you learn about football, not just the leagues that that we you know we see every weekend on the TV, but leagues that maybe we've never seen before. But Oli, I have a little question before we go for you, if that's okay. Go on. So right now I've got a Christmas hat and I've got a Christmas jumper and I have a Christmas tree. In a, in the traditional Christmas sense, what what else could I have built here maybe for the camera for the viewers to see? You know what what would what, what does Christmas say to you? What could you have built for the viewers? Yeah, you know, what do we see people build at schools every now and again, you know, to... to... I mean, a sleigh, Santa? Yeah. What else? Come on, the origin. You know, we're talking origins I here. Oh, nativity in the... Okay, a nice nativity scene. And earlier on, you made a little challenge to me that the viewers saw. <laughs> so in a nativity scene, we, you know, there's three gifts given. What are those three gifts? Frankincense, myrrh. no, no, gold, frankel, and myrrh. <laughs> Very good. 
Very good. <laughs> He's done it right at the end, as he said he would. This is the thing, ladies and gentlemen. Dean Dean always delivers. He's like the postman. Like Santa, I'm a bit like Santa Claus. Always deliver. <laughs> I went like the postman. It's Christmas, like Santa. Well said. I'm going to leave you with a Christmas cracker joke, Dean. All right. Okay. What do Santa's little helpers learn at school? I don't know. They learn the alphabet. Thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Happy Christmas. Merry Have Christmas, everybody. Thank you to Dean. Thank you to, um, to tuning in. Tell all your friends about the Bet It Right show. Give it to them as a gift. Sign up to betitright.com. It's free, um, but it will be the best Christmas present you get this year. Thank you, and we'll see you back in the new year. Bye.